This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Driving Outcomes, your source for inspired solutions to address the most pressing leadership concerns of today. On each episode, we examine the latest developments in applied research and education and how it impacts your business and social outcomes. Our host, Tracy Shirachi, brings you conversations with groundbreaking researchers, educators, and business leaders who are changing the face of leadership every day. And now, here's Tracy. Hi, everyone. Today, I have the opportunity to interview and meet with Rebecca Brown. Rebecca is the administrative director for the MARC program at the University of California, Riverside, and just wanted to get an opportunity to talk with Rebecca about what is the MARC program or what exactly is UCR doing in terms of, you know, what is the MARC um, and M-A-R-C versus the MARC as we're known for as a company, I think is the clear distinction, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Two different things here, guys. So just curious, Rebecca, if you could explain to the audience and myself exactly, you know, what is what does Mark stand for in the context of your organization and what exactly are you doing at UCR um, with the Mark? Sure. Yeah. And I first want to say thank you so much, Tracy, for inviting us to this podcast. It's such an honor to be here and share a little bit about our program. So as you mentioned, my name is Rebecca. I'm the administrative director for the Mark U Star program. And that is a whole mouthful, right? Mark U Star. And it's all acronyms, you guys. Why? I didn't make this up. I don't know who did this. It wasn't me. It was the NIH. Okay. So we'll talk about the NIH and how we're funded. Um, But Mark U Star stands for, and I'm reading this because I don't remember it. It stands for Maximizing Access to Research Career. So that's the M-A-R-C. And then um, the STAR is Student Training and Academic Research Program. So pretty much we're an undergraduate program that assists underrepresented students entering research careers, essentially. Um, So that's all we do. We just help underrepresented students gain research experience and help them move into their undergraduate degree into a PhD or MD PhD after them graduating from UCR. And what is NIH specifically trying to focus on. So for those that aren't familiar with the National Institute of Health, like what is their purview in terms of focus on this particular program? Yeah, so the NIH is a federal agency that funds our program. Um, There are over, I wanna say 60, don't quote me on it, but there's over like 60 MARC programs around the nation. We're just one of them. And their focus is to increase the diversity in the research fields, you know, um, so, diversity to the NIH, that's ethnicity, coming from a disadvantaged background, coming from a uh, poverty um, background as well. So it could be like a financially disadvantaged situation. So their their goal is to um, enhance the diversity in the research fields, you know, in, in science and graduate programs and things of that nature. And specifically in healthcare, is that correct? In terms of like they as a funding agency, that's what they're focused on is healthcare careers or science-related careers, but health-related. Absolutely, yeah. So their their goal is to improve human health in one way or another. So our students are in, that are involved in our program, we ask them to study uh, research that directly impacts the improvement of human health. So 
you know, there's all these different types of research backgrounds, fields, studies like plant biology, you know, they study bees and things like that, you know, but you would never guess that a lot of this research focus ties back into human health and society and our environment and how it impacts us directly. So I'm a business major and a lot of my students, of course, they, they do research, right? So I'm hearing all these things. I'm like, how the heck does physics tie into research, you know? And it does, you know, it does. And that's the beautiful thing about science. And I appreciate that and love that, um, you know, how quirky and intertwined it all is. Well, I was just going to ask you, like, what are samples of projects or what type of fields of study are the students focused on that relate to human health? And it was interesting that you brought up like bees, because I think of honey, like a lot of research that's been done around about the benefits of different types of honey. So not all honey and not all bees are the same, even though we like to think that they all look the same, sting the same, that type of thing. But bees are actually different in terms of different types of species, but they generate different types of honey and different types of honey have different health benefits um, to us as human beings. So it's kind of interesting, like what you're mentioning is how it all ties together. But I'm curious, like what other types of fields of study, and you mentioned these are undergraduates in particular that may be um, picking up a specific field of study as they're doing their undergraduate education. So they're not necessarily those that have um, proceeded to graduate education and research. Is that accurate to say? That's correct. Yeah. So they're all undergraduate level at this point. So when they're in the program, they're at an undergraduate level. And Tracy, to be honest with you, a lot of our students, they, they are all over the place, which is what we want. We want a diverse group of students studying different backgrounds, right? So we have biochemists. Um, we have some bioengineering. We have mathematicians. So I know math, it correlates to, to science and human health. Yeah, we have, uh, did I say chemists, chemistry? Yeah, said, uh, bioengineering and bio. Yeah, so biology. biology, we have a chemistry major. We also uh, focus on behavioral science. So we have some neuroscience students in there that are studying the mind. Um, what else do we have? Uh, we have microbiology. We had a physics students at one point. We don't have any physics this year, but last year we did. So it's all over the place, Tracy. And um, our students, they, depending on the PI that they're matched with, so the PI is a principal investigator or their faculty mentor that they are matched with or paired with, they create their own research projects. So they work it out themselves. Oh, interesting. Right. So the PI will say, hey, we're working on this project for X, Y, Z. Um, your job will be to do this. Right. And it's uh, that trainee's job to go ahead and roll out and uh, further that research path. Now, are these individuals, are these students approached at the beginning of, let's say, their freshman year as they're entering UCR? Or how does it work to either self-identify individuals or for individuals to um say, hey, I'm interested in qualifying for, you know, the MARC program. How do I find a PI or a faculty member to support me because I have this really great, you know, research project I want to work on? Um, how does it work in terms of individuals that are chosen to be a part of the program or for individuals to say, hey, I'm interested and I think I qualify based on, you know, specific qualifications? 
Sure. Yeah. So we actually hit those students as soon as they get into UCR. So freshman status, or even if they're transfer students, uh, we send out a lot of email correspondence through, um, you know, through our main communication channel through UCR, that department. And uh, we have two programs. So we have a summer pre-training program, which is like a summer research program during the summer, only 10 weeks long. And then we have the program that we were speaking about, which is our one to two year training program, which is funded by the NIH. So the two distinctions of the programs, one is funded by the NIH and the other is funded by the college. So the summer pre-training program is funded by the college and we try to target the freshman students, right? So we wanna get them early, get them exposed to research at an early stage. Our goal for our pre-training, so our summer pre-training program is to convert those students into our two, one to two year training program. So essentially students will be hearing about the Marquee Star program as soon as they get at UCR. So but they're have- notified of the program themselves versus them saying like, hey, I come from a, I qualify based on this criteria because I come from XYZ demographic or whatever it may be. It sounds like they're already identified by the university through, I guess, their admissions process. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So what I typically do, I just run a report for students that meet the criteria that I need. So their ethnicity, their GPA, um, if they qualify for Cal Grant or Pell Grant, because that gives me an indicator um, if they might qualify under the financially disadvantaged category to be underrepresented. So I just run a report, you know, with the students that I want to see. And um, I hit them up on email and I say, hey, you know, there's a program. It's a paid opportunity to get involved into research. And a lot of times they see the word paid and like, yeah, I'm in, (laughs) of course, you know? So um, absolutely. So we reach out to them via email. And then every year during the winter quarters, we have open enrollment. So our applications are open for students to apply to both of our programs. Um, the The application process is pretty straightforward. You apply online and you either need one or two letters of recommendation from a faculty member there is a selection process with the selection committee. So there's three faculty on that committee. We interview them and if we like them, we extend a, you know, an invite to the program and it's up to the students to accept or decline. So it's a pretty straightforward process straight taped to tongue tied Tracy. <laughs> but I think it's worth noting. And the only reason I was asking too is because when people fill out the admissions application process or when they're submitting for grants, there are some there are some parties that don't necessarily fill out the demographic information, right? Or there are some parties that aren't, that may qualify for grants, but may not be comfortable filling out those grants. So it's like, I was curious to know, like, so when I think of disadvantaged students in terms of those that are the first in their family to go to college, right? As a segment, how are they identified, um, and obviously I haven't applied recently to college, so I'm kind of out of it, right? In terms of like what the, what is on the application, but that would be um, an, an interesting aspect where like if you're the first to go to college, that may not necessarily be on the application per se, because it may not necessarily be a economic thing or may not be a, you know, what is my racial ethnicity, right? And so I'm checking the box. So I'm just curious, like how the, how the university is, and also, and I bring this up too, because I know often in right now in this time period, we're also, there's a lot of discussions around how to reach 
disadvantaged individuals, right? And how do we do that better, right? Not to say that we haven't been doing it up to now, but how do we continue to improve upon that? So I'm just kind of analyzing as you're talking, like what's a way in which we can improve that or just acknowledge like um, ways to better identify students that may not self-identify themselves by checking boxes around ethnicity or economic, like annual income of their parents or things like that, right? Because there's some students also I acknowledge where the parents may be in a certain economic um, category, but then they're asked to pay for their own education, right? So that puts them like starting from the beginning, right? So how do we identify those students or what do we do to do that? Yeah, I love that question. You know, I do have conversations with faculty I'm on this uh, committee that we talk about different research opportunities on campus and how it targets, you know, diverse populations. And UCR, they do a good job at collecting um, some data, but not all the data, especially as it relates to um, different diversity categories, you know. So I did mention some like the financial, the ethnicity, Mm -hmm. you know, all the checkbox, right? So, we have had a conversation with institutional research at some point on how we can collect the data. Um, you know, I, I honestly don't have a full answer for you. No, uh, that's fine. I was just curious, like I was just curious that they're talking, right? And I think the other yeah. piece is, the reason I wanted you to highlight is how can students be a part of this, not only in being selected by the university through the admissions process, but also as parents or students are listening to the podcast, maybe those are some of the other demographics, right? Some of the other data and information that they know themselves, they would otherwise qualify. And so it's really taking the initiative to talk to a faculty member or or talk to yourself or talk to someone at the university to say, hey, I have a question as to whether or not I would qualify for these XYZ reasons, Mm -hmm. um, even if it's not reflected on, you know, or was reflected on my admissions per se. And that might be a good way to like engage per se. Absolutely. In in our application, there is a category for coming from a disadvantaged background. Clearly that is not a checkbox, right? Because you can be raised by a single family. I'm not single, single, a single parent, right? Um, You have three siblings, a sibling, two, whatever the case may be. And you're expected to work outside of the home, you know, in high school, then unable to thrive academically. So that's just an example of coming from a disadvantaged background. And during my information sessions that I have about uh, quarterly, three times a quarter, I tell students that this disadvantaged category can look different for so many different people, right? So again, that's not something that can be captured by a report. So I tell students all the time, I said, if your story, you know, your journey if it can justify you coming from um, an, an area or just from a background that has inhibited you, inhibited you from, you know, excelling in your career choices and your academics, going to college, for example, then you're going to enter that into your personal statement. So the personal statement is something that we require in our online application. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the student has the opportunity 
to then explain, you know, yeah, I don't, you know, my parents make a hundred thousand dollars a year, you know, all this looks good. All the check boxes are good, but Hey, I went through this, Mm -hmm. I went through this dark place, you know, for, for five years, for a year. And I was unable to do blah, blah, blah. So that when I see that I read the personal statements, then that's up to, you know, myself and the program director, which is Dr. Ernest Martinez. He works in the uh, biochemistry department at UCR. Um, that's up to our discretion to say, okay, hey, is this coming from a disadvantaged background or, or is it not? And that NIH, they also give us some guidelines in terms of what um, is appropriate, you know, mm-hmm. at, yep. in that area or not. So they give us guidelines as well, but then it's also up to us to make that determination if it's appropriate or not. Which I think is important to note because the demographics tell one thing, or like you said, the check the box things tell one thing. It's just like a conversation I've had with individuals is just because you're also of a certain race, not everybody's equal within that one race, right? People have different opportunities or different access. So race itself is not necessarily um, representative, right, of a disadvantage. Um, At the same time, like income is not necessarily, right? And so it's, it's like accounting for those anomalies, right? And being equitable in the sense that it's accounting for that such that individuals have equal opportunities, put it that way, in terms of access to resources or access to information. And I think it's interesting to see how that evolves because I think for NIH, they're also trying to assess that too as they're providing the funding and, and being the leader of these programs, right? And then at the same time from a university level, it's interesting to hear and I appreciate you sharing like how you guys are addressing it too and, and how it's evolving, right? There's no like one set answer, which I think is really important for people to know is that no one has an, the perfect answer, or the perfect approach, but it's how are we constantly improving that? And like you said, looking at the data or changing the process by which individuals can apply. And I think more importantly, it's awareness for it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think back to like, I went to UC Davis like years ago, 20, like 25 years ago, but I remember there was a program that my roommates were a part of at the time, which was similar to the MARC program that occurred during the summer and occurred during the fall. And I was always like, how come I wasn't invited to this program or I didn't know about the program or, and I used to pick their brains about it. And they were, they'd started out in science fields. One is still in the science field and graduated, but the other ended up going into social sciences. Um, but like, there's, it, there's also just an awareness that there's so many resources available on a college or a university campus that you don't even know about certain things. Right. And unless you ask or unless you develop a relationship with the faculty member, administrator or even classmate who's helping you to navigate, there's no way to know about all the opportunities. So I think it's great for you to share on this podcast for hopefully parents and hopefully for students and anybody that listens that the programs like the MARC, M-A-R-C-K, not the MARC as in ourselves, which is separate, um, exist and that NIH is doing these programs, too. So I appreciate you highlighting that, Rebecca, in terms of, um, and are these undergraduates, most of them pursue a graduate education and research, or do some of them go off and decide to start their own business? I mean, what is some of the career paths, so to speak, that they um, take? Sure. Yeah, we do have some students that go into industry and some go into academia. They're going into the faculty track. 
So we do expect our students to apply to graduate programs their senior year at UCR. So that's an expectation and requirement of us. So, you know, once you are signed on to as a Mark trainee, uh, we have them sign a contract saying, hey, you know, I have full intentions of applying to grad programs and entering a grad program within three years of graduating from UCR. So um, I'll, I would say 85 to 90% of our students go into uh, graduate programs right after they graduate from UCR. And when I mention graduate programs, not masters, uh, not MD. So that our program is not for MD bound students. It's for students that are interested in fully you know, full research. So that's a, a MD PhD, which is a dual program or a straight mm-hmm. PhD program. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily need to be now, do they need to be part of UCR's graduate program or in general, as long as they're pursuing a graduate program at any university that also any university. Yep, at any university of their choice, you know, whatever their heart leads them to, we support that as long as it's within the MD, PhD or the PhD fields. And then I have a question for you. Are they, as NIH or even for yourselves, look to be on that in terms of, so another conversation I had with the party was really about supporting graduate students who are pursuing like what you said, a PhD or MD, but also helping them along their faculty tenureship or their faculty track, right? Because I think what's interesting is that students are being definitely supported from their undergraduate to graduate, but also there's a piece where it's like, what about those that graduate from their graduate programs and then now are looking for teaching opportunities or um, looking to be supported as a teaching faculty at schools? Is that something that you guys are also looking at as part of that? Or that's kind of maybe the next evolution that we don't yet know about? Yeah, perhaps in the future. Um, Right now, we do not uh, provide resources or services, you know, in terms of after they graduate from UCR and when they graduate with their PhD. But I think that that would absolutely be a great, you know, segue in the next segment of our, you know, evolvement of our program. But at this point, we don't. However, um, a lot of our students within their PhD programs or their graduate programs, they form their own unique cohort there with their new Mm. family, right? So um, who knows how that relationship is helping them evolve in their career track, right? So I always leave our our doors open for our students, regardless if they're a current trainee, they are in the process of completing their PhD or if they've already graduated. So we always leave that door open because we have to communicate with our students for the rest of their life, you know? Um, because the NIH requires us to do so, you know, to see where they are, you know, like that's our uh, measurement of success. Honestly, our students determines how we are rated in, you know, refunding and all that stuff. So we stay in touch with them. Um, And while I'm on the point, I want to make mention that every winter quarter, we invite our alumni um, that graduated in previous years to come back and speak to our current cohort of Mark trainees and that within itself is such an inspiring, um, even for myself, it's like a, a great opportunity for us to see the fruits of our labor as administrators, right? And then also for the students to see like, hey, I, I'm currently in a seat that this person was in, right? So every winter we invite students um, that graduated and they come back and they say, hey, you know, I was in your seat and you know, it was difficult, like it was, it was hard. 
And, you know, even when I got to grad school, I went through some low points or, you know, I were, had really great things happen, you mm-hmm. know, it's like all uh, from up and down, they cover it. And I encourage our alumni to be very transparent with our current trainees so they can really see how the MARC program has helped them evolve as a researcher, you know, as a, as a career person, um, not just in research, but just as a career overall. So it's a beautiful, rewarding position to be in, honestly. Well, I love that because I think mentorship is instrumental, right? And it's mentorship that continues for all of us professionally, no matter what we go into, right? And the other piece is it's being able to demonstrate the impact of what you guys are doing, right? That it does, it's not just in the immediate work you're attributing right now, but there is a bigger return. There's a bigger investment that's being made that is being made over time. And so I think that's also interesting to measure is to know that some of the things that one will see are at the immediate end of the program, but other things you'll see afterwards. And so to hear that is really powerful because it justifies the ROI now or the return on investment now. So um, I think that's super exciting. And I appreciate your time, Rebecca, in terms of sharing this with everyone, because I think it's an exciting program and something that I hope those that are listening can support. And part of that support just comes from acknowledgement of what's out there in the world and what are people doing and sharing that. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely, Tracy. Thank you for having me. And um, hopefully you put in my information. You can find me or email me at rebecca.brown at ucr.edu or visit our website at www.marku.ucr.edu. You can find us there. And um, I hope you guys learned some good content today about the Marky Star program. Thank you. No problem. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Driving Outcomes. If you'd like to listen to or download other episodes of Driving Outcomes, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast networks. Please also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as The Mark USA. We hope you'll join us again next week for more conversations with today's leaders who are driving for results and achieving phenomenal business outcomes. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. 
Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.